0: Good morning. My name is Mark Schuler. I'm the pastor of Adult Ministries, as Pastor Tim said. And a privilege to be able to stand up and share God's Word with you uh, this morning and to be able to close out this series, uh, In Troubled Times. And uh, so I wanted to tell you, I was looking through um, some old journals this past week from like 15 years ago. You ever, ever do that? And so that was kind of a fun experience to kind of look back and see that. And if you were to look into my journals here, you would probably say, you know, Mark's got a lot of scripture in there. You know, there's a lot of verses that he's put in there that have applied to his, you know, life situation at the time. And if you looked into my journal, you'd probably say, God is awesome. God is sovereign and faithful and forgiving and merciful and gracious. And God has done some pretty awesome things in Mark's life. And if you looked into my journal, you, you would probably also say, um, this guy seems to have a lot of problems. <laughs> uh, he, he's really, really needy. Uh, and that, that really is the cool thing about the journal, where you just can kind of open up your heart and, and, and just kind of be transparent and open, listen, before the God who knows our heart perfectly, right? And that's, that's what I love about the Psalms is, yes, it's a songbook, But it's also kind of like a diary. It's like a journal, right? Where in it you get to see the heart of the psalmist, especially David's, because he wrote so many of them. And Psalm 25, our scripture for today, is is a neat psalm for us here today. Because in it you're going to see the four quadrants of the heart that we've been looking at really the last five or six weeks. So if we could put that graphic up there. So that should be familiar to you. We've been looking at that. And we've been talking about how our hearts can be bent towards sin, right? Uh, Towards fear and despair and anger and foolishness. But how God, listen, brings healing. That God can transform, that God can change, that God can bring healing to us. And so as we dig into Psalm 25, you are going to see glimpses of of David wrestling and battling, but you're also going to see in a huge way, David, look to the Lord. For the Lord in his life to bring him trust, And hope and surrender and satisfaction. Look, this is a real psalm from a real man drawing near to a real, personal, powerful God. So go ahead and turn to Psalm 25 now. Psalm 25 is where we're gonna be. And if you're taking notes, let me give you the first point it's this a trust in your providing God. Trust in your providing God. Look at verse 1. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Let's stop there for now. This psalm really starts as a prayer. Do you see it there? To you, David says. He, he begins to lay it all on the line from the very beginning. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Say, say that with me. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. And that became a prayer of mine uh, even this week. And so David here, as you can see, calls on the covenant-keeping name of God, capital L-O-R-D. And basically he says this, I surrender everything to you. God, I I lay it all down. I give you all of me. To you and you alone do I look. David starts out this way because David's going to say a lot. He's going to say a lot in this psalm. He's going to talk about the pain of his circumstances. He's going to talk here, church, of the enemies who hate him and are seeking to attack him and kill him. He's going to talk about his own sin, his loneliness, his distress, his need for help and guidance. And so from the very beginning, he wants God to know, I'm yours, God. All of me into your hands right now. I am yours. I surrender it all to you. And God, I trust you. Look at verse 2. Oh my God, in you I trust. In the very beginning, we see the heart of David. Every follower of God will go through hardships, trials, tribulations, struggles. The Bible actually says, why would you be surprised that you're going through these things? Right? You know that you are destined for them. And so, what we do in these times is so crucial. It's so important. David chooses here, listen, to not allow fear to eat him up, but to get himself to God, to call out in prayer, to plead for God's help. Look at verse 2. He goes on to say, Let not me be put to shame, let not my enemies exult over me. We don't know the exact historical background here of the psalm, but David's in trouble. And he has enemies, plural. They're looking to triumph over him, to shame him. The meaning could be like a little bit of embarrassment and to be made the fool. But if we look closer, when he says, let not me be put to shame or let my enemies exalt over me, the idea is more of complete defeat. It's, it's utter disappointment, it's total triumph, all at David's expense, all over him. It'd be like somebody that you thought was very trustworthy, proving themselves to be very untrustworthy, and seeking to somehow hurt you emotionally or even physically. And so David gets to the God who is completely trustworthy. He brings himself to God, and he says in verse 3, Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. How many? None. None who wait for you shall be put to shame. So is waiting pointless? Not, not if it's by faith and on God. Waiting is not pointless. David says, none who wait for you, God, shall be put to shame. David waits on God to act and he says, he's like, I'm not going to be put to shame. Right? He won't be put to shame, but they shall be. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. What do I do when people are backstabbing and deceiving and hurtful? I wait on God. I wait on God to act on my behalf. I don't sin in return and retaliate and take revenge. I wait on God. David's waiting. None who wait for you shall be put to shame. And waiting on God, church, implies acceptance, really, of God's wisdom and God's A timing in the situation. It implies acceptance of God's wisdom and God's timing in the situation in your life. And in fact, I brought a definition for you if you could write this down for patience, because this really is what patience is. I put this down, it's it's accepting a difficult situation in your life from God without giving God a deadline to remove it. Let me say that again, it's patience Right? Fruit of the spirit of patience, it's accepting a difficult situation in your life from God without giving God a deadline to remove it. So the, the opposite of this would be a restlessness. It would be, I refuse to wait on you God, I take matters into my own hands and I don't trust you. Right? That would be the opposite. But David says he waits. He waits and he continues to pray. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. He doesn't give God now an ultimatum of giving, getting him out of the trouble like you must, but he instead now begins to pray, continue to pray, and ask God to give him what he needs as he goes through it. All right, so look at verse 4, and this becomes an awesome prayer. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. He's like, God, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. You show me, God. You teach me. You are the one, God, that I'm looking to. Your ways are higher than mine. Show me. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Verse 5, lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. God, direct me. I'm hurting. I can't see it. I'm confused. Help me. Teach me your way. Teach me about you and your paths when life seems to be falling apart. It's this. Show me you and your ways in my dark days. And show me you, God, and your ways in my dark days. What a prayer this is in verses 4 and 5. I love the imperatives, right? Make me. Teach me. Lead me. I mean, this is great confidence in God. This is not muscling it at all. This is God. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. I'm looking to you. You are the one, God. Please make me to know your ways and teach me and lead me. And he waits on God to deliver. In fact, look back at verse 3 for a second. want to show you something. This really stuck out to me this week. He says, indeed, and back in verse 3, indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. Now drop down to the end of verse 5 for you i wait all the day long. Do you see this? This was such a beautiful statement. He's basically saying if it's true, and God i know it is true, that those who wait for you shall not be put to shame, then i wait. So i wait. Man, such faith. I will wait on you, i will trust you in every situation. He waits with this eager expectation that God is in control, that God will provide, that he, he can trust this providing God. So back around Memorial Day, um, i share a little story with you. My four-year-old son uh, fell out of a tree and he broke his arm. And so it, the, the break was bad enough where he had to go in for surgery and he had to have pins put in his arm. Ugh, the thought of that still makes me... He had to get pins, three pin, little pins put in his arm, you know. And uh, it was a hard time for my son, Josh. It was also a hard time for his dad, you know. And uh, so he, he goes in uh, for surgery. And I, I don't know what your struggle is. When you look at those quadrants of the heart, I'm not sure where you tend to go to. But let me tell you what, man, I, my struggle tends to go to fear. All right, like I could what if anything to death, church. What if this happens? What if that one? What if? And my wife's like, yeah, he does, you know. Um, so we bring him in for surgery, and if you could put the picture up there of him, there he is there. It's such a cute guy, and he's got his little hat on, and uh, he's got his hat on his little 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 uh, a stuffed animal there, his little Marshall dog, and the girls put this, sisters put these little wraps on the dog's arms to get his cast, and uh, so they were helping him, and he was ready, and then He's, you know, all smiles, and they're getting ready to wheel him off in the car. And they, they do such an awesome job, the hospital, the nurses, the doctors, everybody. And they, they wheel him off to make it fun in this cool car. I, I didn't get a car to wheel off into the waiting room. Uh, <laughs> but they, they wheel him off. And he's all smiles, and Dad is not. Um, so Stacy and I, we can't go with him, right? And so as a dad, like, you, you want to be there. When his eyes shut and when he opens them back up and just to wrap your arms around him, um, he's your son. And so I, I had to fight, man, so bad with God's word and just battle in my mind just, just over and over. God, you have a plan for him. God, you love him. God, you are with him. God, you are for him over and over. In fact, I can remember a couple nights leading up into the surgery, just laying in bed, right, just calling out to God and crying out to God. Right? And I remember Psalm 121, my, my eyes look to the hills. Where does my help come from? What can I do, right? My help comes from the Lord, creator of heaven and earth. God, if you created heaven and earth, an arm's not that big of a deal. You created heaven and earth. I look to you. And I remember Hebrews 13. God, you will never leave us or forsake us. I'm trusting in that. You will not leave me or forsake me. You will not leave my son or forsake my son. In Romans 8.32, then as my thought kept going, God, you did not spare your own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? God is all powerful. God is all wise. And God is all loving. And I thought to myself in that moment, yes, like this is love. That God would give his one and only son to death so that me and my one and only son could have life forever. There is no explanation of that type of love. That is God's love and perfect love like that, listen now, began to cast out my fear that I could trust this God. So a question to you, who or what are you trusting in? It's the object of our faith that makes all the difference. David's answer to his difficult situation was to trust in his God, God Almighty, and to pray and to wait for God to act on his behalf. However God chose to do that. Trust in your providing God. Here's point number two. Hope in your loving God. Look at verses 6 and 7. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. David in verses 1 to 5 is going to talk about trouble from without his enemies. And here now in in these next few verses, 6 and 7, he's going to talk about trouble from within his own sin. And if David wants God to lead him in the truth, okay, then he needs to uh, deal with his own sin. If, If David wants God to lead him on the right path, as we saw, then he first needs to deal with his own past wanderings away from that path. And so three times David David uses the word this, remember. For God, verse 6, to remember his mercy and steadfast love. For God to remember not his past sin and his current sin, verse 7. And then also in verse 7, for God to remember David because God is good, an attribute of God. And so David, when he uses the word remember here, I want you to think of it this way. He's He's not saying that God has actually forgotten something. And that God needs to somehow try to bring it to mind. The verb remember here means to contemplate or to recall. So when David says remember, he's not saying, God, did you forget? Did you forget God? No, he's calling God to act on his past promises given to his people. It's kind of like this. It's kind of like, God, I know you said in Exodus 34, 6, and 7 that you are the Lord The Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. So he's saying saying this, do that now, God, because of who you are, a God who acts in mercy and who acts in love and who acts in forgiveness and because you never change. David's basically saying, don't give me, God, what I deserve Right, based upon my own sin. Instead, he pleads with God to give, give him his mercy based upon who God is. And so he's calling God to remember his promises and he's to act on those. I'm so thankful for that. Because none of us are perfect, right? We're all on this journey where God is making us more like Jesus Christ. And so we don't have to somehow show up and pretend and fake it and, and think that we are great and we have it all together. Only God is great and has it all together. And God is changing us from one degree of glory to the next. It was, it was C.S. Lewis that said, imagine yourself a living house. Now God comes in to rebuild that house. Okay, and so we, we are sinners in need of God's daily mercy and grace and he gives it. The Bible tells us that, that he gives a greater grace, James 4. It says, blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, Psalm 32. Jesus, he shed his own blood, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, 1 Peter 3. That he who began that good work in us will carry it on until completion, until the day of Christ Jesus, Philippians 1. 1. And I'm so thankful for that. And I love Psalm 130, verse 7, that says, Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He's so faithful. Even when our hearts begin to stray. And David knows it. So David's doing this. Listen, he's just calling on God to be God. He's, He's asking God, he's petitioning God to be God. To recall, remember, and be faithful to all of his promises. You know, Pastor Steve said a few weeks ago when he was preaching, he said, said, worship brings hope. Church, hope and worship. Worship this God who is merciful and forgiving and loving and gracious and kind. Where else would we go? Who else could forgive sin? David knows it. And he gets to his God. You can trust him today with whatever hurtful situation you may have come in with. And whatever sin you may have come in with, you can trust him. You can have a real hope, a real hope in God, a confident expectation that God is who he says he is, and he will deal with you according to his promises, according to his character. Hope in him. He is working. I wrote this down this week that God is closer than I know and working more than I see That's faith. God is closer than I know, and he's working more than I see. So one great thing about Psalm 25 that I really like is the the passionate prayer from David to his God. And so let me give you five things here that you can pray in difficult times, as we see in verses 1 to 7. So I'm going to give you a little bit of a list here. I'm going to give you five things. You can write them down that you can pray in difficult times, as we see in verses 1 to 7. And the first one is this. Father in heaven, I trust you and commit my life into your hands. That's verse 1, right? To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Whatever's going on in your life, it's Father in heaven, I trust you, and I commit my life into your hands. Here's number 2. Teach me your word, God teach me your word and help me to apply it to my life right now. Teach me your word and help me to apply it to my life right now. Number three, God make known to me more of of you, your will, and your ways. God, make known to me more of you, your will, and your ways. Right? It's show me, God. So I trust you and commit my life into your hands. Teach me your word. Help me to apply it. Make known to me more of you, your will, and your ways. Number four, help me to be patient in trouble and trust in your timing to act. What a great prayer. God, help me. Help me just to be patient in all of this trouble that's going on and just to trust in your timing to act in my life. Your wisdom, your timing. And then the last one, number five, is this. Just, God, forgive my sin. All right, that's what David began to pray. And you could be specific on that. Father, forgive my sin and just whatever it is, being specific. I trust you and commit my life into your hands. Teach me your word. Help me to apply it. Make known to me more of you, your wills, and your, your will, your ways. Help me to be patient in trouble and trust in your timing to act and forgive my sin. Five things you can pray in difficult times as seen in the life of David. All right, let's move on to point number three. We're going to go a little quicker, verses three through five. Uh, David's going to begin to repeat some of the themes as well, which I'll uh, show you. Number three Be satisfied in your holy God and his clear leading. Be satisfied in your holy God. And his clear leading. Verse 8: Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. David continues the theme of exalting God, preaching to himself that even though life is hard, right, that he can trust this God who is good and upright. And back in verses 4 and 5, David prayed for God, remember, to lead him in truth, to teach him and to show him his ways. Here he declares that that God will do just that, right? That that good and upright is the Lord, therefore he, God, instructs sinners in the way. He, God, leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. You see it? David has, he's confessed his sin. He knows that he's humbled himself before God. And so now he's going to trust that God's going to act as only God can. And again, you see it, God will instruct, God will lead, God will teach. You can see the dropping of the hands, really, right? And not taking matters into his own hands. He's dropping the hands, humbling himself, continual surrender onto this God who is faithful and loving, as it says in verse 10. We clearly see David's humility here. You're going to see it in the next verses, too. And you remember the hearts that we had put up, right? The top layer, then. The top two quadrants of the heart is all about humility. It's laying down the pride. It's God, you're in charge, not me. And it's also complete satisfaction in God. You are all satisfying, not the momentary pleasures of this world. That's where David is. Listen, a man after God's own heart is seen right here with a humble heart. And so you remember... um, Pastor Mitch said a few weeks ago when when he was preaching, he gave us some fruits of being satisfied in God. And uh, I wanted to just list a few for you. So he had given us, you know, the fruits of being satisfied in God is looking for opportunities to worship, focusing on the problem solver over the problem, and having confidence that God's plan is what's best. Now listen, I see that in David. David. Don't you see that in Psalm 25? I see all of those things in him. Even in massive trouble, uh, David is, he's delighting himself in God and he's content in God and what God will do even in hard times. And he's looking for God, right? Not taking matters into his own hands, but looking for God to lead him. That God will lead. Say that with me. God will lead. God will lead. You can count on it. I read a story this week of a 19th century preacher who was sailing from Northern Ireland into a seaside port in, in England. And the story goes like this, that nothing could be seen through the thick darkness except a confusing array of lights on the shore. I'm wondering how the captain could possibly navigate the ship safely into the harbor. He asked the captain how he was going to see and steer the ship on such a dark night. And so the captain took him up to the bridge and he asked, do you see the big light on, on the uh, shore to the left. And the preacher says, yes, I, I see it. And he said, well, do you see the big light on the shore to the right and the other outstanding light in the distance? The preacher says, yes, I see it, captain. So the captain says, now now, keep your eyes on those three lights. See what happens. So he's watching, and as they're sailing, uh, the, left, the light on the left gradually merges into the middle one, and then the two lights gradually merge together into one. And So the captain turns to him and he says, see, now that all of those three lights have become one, I just need to follow the one and sail straight ahead. Now listen, in the Christian life, we, we go through some very, very dark and very, very confusing times. There's times that we sail that way in our life. This world is broken because of sin. And so we desperately need the sure, guiding light of God's word. And we desperately need the shepherding hand of our sovereign and loving God That is who David is looking to, to guide his way. He he will lead you on the perfect path, on the clear path, on the path that he has set out for you. And so David in Psalm 25 is saying, I need your guidance. And so he asks God to put him on the path, to teach him his way, to lead him in what's right, and you can do the same. God will honor that request. God, teach me. God, show me. God, lead me. God, instruct me. God will guide you. God will satisfy you. One of my favorite verses that I cling to in the midst of trials is Isaiah 58, 11. Let me read this to you. It says, it says, the Lord will guide you always. Who will? And how often? Always. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. I love that. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs. And it's like God would say to me, Mark, it's going to be hard. There's going to be difficult times. But I will lead you, and I am all that you need. I will lead you. I am all that you need. And I've experienced that, and you can as well. Look. Look, I like this little phrase I learned a long time ago. Yesterday, God helped me. Today, he'll do the same. How long will it last? Forever, praise his name. Yesterday, you can trust that. Yesterday, God helped me. Today, he'll do the same. How long will it last? Forever, praise his name. Trust in your providing God. Hope in your loving God. Be satisfied in your holy God and his clear leading. And now, number four, humble yourself under his faithful. Hand. Humble yourself under his faithful hand. You're going to continue to see the humble heart of David. In fact, before I even read you these verses, I want you just to write these two phrases down. These again should be familiar to you from the top portion of the hearts. Um, write down a yielding to God. Just write down yielding to God in your notes. And then, and then write this down, satisfied in God. So it's yielding to God. That's God, I'm surrendered. Right? You're in charge. And it's satisfied in God. That's, that's God, you're enough. God, you're enough. And God, you're in charge. That's David's heart as he continues and he hits on some of these same themes. So... Verse 11, David asked God to pardon his great guilt from his own sin for God's glory. Look at verse 11. He goes on to say, For your name's sake, for your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. He goes on to say that those who fear God, right now, fear here is not a scared of, but a fear of God, a a respect, a submission to, a worshiping in awe. A fear of God. He goes on to list all of these benefits now in this psalm, right? As he knows that he's the one that fears God. And so he goes on to say uh, that when you fear God, you get an instruction in God's way. Look at verse 12. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him he will instruct in the way that he should choose. In verse 13 he says he gets blessing from God. His soul shall abide in well-being. His offspring shall inherit the land. Then he goes on to say that those who fear God will have an intimate friendship with the Almighty. This is such a great verse, uh, 14. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. The friendship of the Lord, all right, uh, is for those who fear him, God, and he makes known to them his covenant covenant, right? This is covenant here. It's God's binding agreement based upon his own character. This is, I will be their God and they will be my people. It's covenant commitment here. And listen, this is so important. Before I go on, I just want to say this. Look, David's failures, his feelings, and his circumstances didn't change his relationship with God. And it doesn't with us either. We are adopted, blood, Bought children of God into God's family. Listen, he is our God. We are his people, okay? And so David is reminding us even in this, God is not changing. God is for me. My situation that I came in with here today doesn't change who God is and how much he cares for me. God is with me. So David continues to keep his eyes on God, the God who can deliver him from trouble. Verse 15, he says, My eyes are ever toward the Lord. That's continual. My eyes are ever toward the Lord. He will pluck my feet out of the net. In the midst of trouble, sometimes you think about where our eyes go. All the things that we're trying to grab a hold of and reach out to. David says, not one place. My eyes are on the Lord. My eyes are on you, God. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. It's all about faith and humility here. Yielding to God, I see it. Satisfied in God, I see it. I wrote these three little phrases down. I wrote down this. It's all about God's control and plans, not his own. It's all about God's power, not his own strength. And it's all about God's glory and not his own reputation. Man after God's own heart. And so see if you could put those in for you today. It's all about God's control and plans and not my own. It's all about God's power, not my own strength. It's all about God's glory, not my own personal reputation. My eyes are ever toward the Lord. He will pluck my feet out of the net. He will be the one that will deliver. To you, O oh Lord, I lift up my soul Whatever you came in with today, whatever it may be, trouble from without, trouble from within. Look, you can do do this. You can thank God in the midst of whatever's going on. You can thank him for his character. It's a character that brings surrender, right? That God's the one that's sovereign, that he's all wise, that he's all loving, that he's all knowing. It brings surrender into our hearts. You can examine yourself right here. And say, God, is there any sin in my heart right? That I've, that I've rebelled against you and not submitted to you or surrendered to you in any way? God, is there any rebellion in my heart? Is there any sin in my heart? And confess that. And then you can be still. And you can drop the hands. And you can pray. And you can wait on God and watch God work in your life. I heard uh, John Piper say once, he said, you know, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life. And you may be aware of three of them. You know, God's at work. He's always working. His eye is always on you, Psalm 32. Listen, there's no power in the universe that can stop God from fulfilling his totally good plans for you. All right, David knew it. Paul knew it, right? He said, even if I die, right? if you take my life for me to live as Christ, to die as gain, it's better to be with him. So in every circumstance, he's like, I'm trusting. See that in David. And so you can too. Trust in your providing God, hope in your loving God. Be satisfied in your holy God and his clear leading. Humble yourself under his faithful hand. And finally, I'm gonna close with this. Number five. Long to experience him as he powerfully moves in your life. Long to experience him as he powerfully moves in your life. David's going to close the psalm here on these last verses by just just being so real and so personal and so genuine, surrendering it all to God, just like where he started up in verse 1. And he wants to experience, right, God moving on his behalf, and he wants to experience God powerfully defending him in every situation. And so he finishes it by saying this. You'll see some repeated themes. Turn to me and be gracious to me. For I am lonely and afflicted. See how real he is before God? We don't need to hide it. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let not me be put to shame. There it is again, just like verse 1. Let not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait on you. Verse 3 and 5. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all of his troubles. You see it? Help me, God, I'm in trouble. Forgive me, God, I'm a sinner. Guard me, God, I wait on you. In the last verse, in verse 22, he switches to this prayer of intercession for the whole community. Right? Saying, redeem Israel, O God, out of all of his troubles. Isn't this psalm amazing? I love this. I love seeing David's heart seen even in troubled times. And I love this psalm and how much we've learned about God just in Psalm 25. There is so much here. In fact, let me just, just take a moment and just put your pen down. And just, I just want to recap this for you. As we look through Psalm 25, we see in Psalm 25 alone, God is trustworthy, that God is faithful, that God leads us, that God speaks truth, that God is merciful and loving and loyal, that He's forgiving, that God is open with us and is a friend to us, that God is gracious. That God is powerful enough to rescue us and provide refuge for us in the midst of trouble. That God is the one alone that is good and upright and that he is near to me and he hears my prayer. Amen? This is our God. This is our God. So what? You can trust him. You can hope in him. Right? You can surrender to this God. You can be satisfied in this God always. I want to close with this. There's an illustration that I heard um, a few weeks ago, and it was, it was very impacting uh, in my life. And so I've, I've listened to it over and over again, and I wanted to just kind of share it with you. It's not original with me, but I thought it also worked really, really well uh, for Psalm 25 and what we've seen uh, in David. So let me close with this. The story goes like this. There was an actor at a drawing room function who was asked to recite something. And so he stood up and he wanted to be gracious to his audience. And so he said, I'll recite anything uh, you'd like me to recite. And no one suggested anything, so an old preacher happened to be there. And uh, he was sitting in the back and no one knows quite how he got in there. Probably crashed the party. Preachers don't typically get invited to drawing room functions on a high society level, but he was there. Uh, And he had the courage and he stood up. And He said, I'd like to hear you recite the 23rd Psalm. And the actor was a little shocked at that, but he'd thrown himself open. And so he had to do what the man asked him to do. And he happened to know it. And so he said, okay, I'll do it. And so he repeated the 23rd Psalm with just complete eloquence. Okay, masterfully interpreted it. It was beautiful. When he was done, there was spontaneous applause uh, throughout the entire room. The actor, uh, figuring he'd get back at the old gentleman, He said, Now, sir, I'd like to hear you recite it. The old gentleman hadn't bargained for that. Because of his love for Christ, he stood up and he repeated the 23rd Psalm. His voice cracked, broke, wasn't very beautiful at all. Interpretation wasn't really that great. When he got done, though, there was no applause, but there wasn't a dry eye in the room. The actor, sensing his own emotion, he stood up and he said, Ladies and gentlemen, I reached your eyes and your ears tonight and he reached your heart. And the difference is this, I know the psalm, he knows the shepherd. Listen, do you just know Psalm 25 now or do you know the shepherd behind it? Are you experiencing your God? no matter where you are in life right now, no matter what you came in here with, listen, none who wait on the Lord shall ever be put to shame. Trust him, hope in him, surrender it all to him, be satisfied in him. He is our God. Let's pray.